Greetings, and thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 44. This week's poem is A Drifting Petal by Mary McNeil Fenelusa, a poem that was actually requested by a student for use on these assignments last semester. It's a challenging poem and one of the older ones we've taken a look at, but there is a lot to look at because it is a poem that is visually rich. But before we get to Fenelosa, we must return to the poem Where I Lie About Everything by Rudy Francisco. I really enjoyed this poem, despite the sadness that is just barely being concealed beneath. And it seems that many of my students did too. In addition to liking the poem itself, a couple very kind students commented on the reading of the poem last week, and I wanted to thank them for giving me their thoughts. Here's the poem. The Poem Where I Lie About Everything Rudy Francisco. I'm six foot two. I weigh 225 pounds, and I know what you're thinking. The answer is no. I don't like basketball. Yes. The way my parents look at each other reminds me that love still exits. Yes. I love swimming. Yes. I'm an only child. And they are still married. Exists. That was a typo. Yes, my grandmother is still alive. Yes, I'm fine. Yes, I'm always fine. No, I'm not just saying that so you'll leave me alone. Yes, I'm happy. I smile so much my face hurts. Yes, that is the only pain I'm familiar with. Yes, when people say, good luck, I laugh and tell them I'm a rabbit's foot wrapped in a four-leaf clover. Yes, when someone says, have a good day, I say, too late, already happening. My eyes? Oh, allergies. My hands? They shake like this all the time. The doctor says it's normal, no big deal, just ignore it. Yes, I'm comfortable talking about my feelings. Yes, ask me anything. Yes, I'm lovable. No, I'm not lonely. No, I'm not exhausted. No, I'm not under a lot of pressure. No. 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 Yes, I slept really well last night. I woke up around seven, made a breakfast, I felt guilty, then went for a run. I really liked the work that my students did on this poem. There were some readings here that I didn't actually expect, and there were some that I kind of did. Uh, One of the first things uh, to note is the number of students recognized the dishonesty here. Now, obviously, truth was the secret password for last week, and the poem opens by saying that it's lying about everything, so that's not surprising. But as a result, students spent quite a bit of time thinking about what it meant to lie in this poem. One student noted that these are actually tiny white lies, the kind of things that people have a tendency to say maybe all the time. Sometimes maybe because they're just easier. Sometimes because you just don't want to do other things. And so there's something about these lies, according to many students, that allow the speaker to kind of hide. A student says that there's a failure to identify the real and sometimes woeful emotions uh, that a person is feeling. And that the pressure that is the result of people expecting things. The pressure that comes from the expectation that you be all right. When people ask if you're okay, they want to hear that you are, and living up to that expectation could sometimes put pressure on people. A student says that 
All of this lying actually makes the truth of what's going on murkier. It adds more stress to the speaker, who is already exhausted, it seems. And this constant lying is destroying the ability for this speaker to be fine. It's making it more difficult to be the thing that it seems that they want to be. And there are lines in here that really indicate how hard the speaker is trying to hide. And one shouldn't point in specifically to the lines where it says, my eyes, and it talks about my hands. And it reminded the student as someone who has anxiety or someone uh, who is stressed and they're having to work really hard to hide the way they feel, possibly because the people around them just, they think, aren't ready for the reality of those emotions. But other people found other reasons why maybe these lies are happening. A student said that the point of the poem was the speaker lying to himself to create a truth and maybe become happier. It's hard to say if that works, but maybe that's part of the process here. A kind of fake it till you make it, maybe. Another said that not telling the truth makes the speaker feel like he can talk about how he feels, that love still exits. It's, it seems that he did it on purpose. He may have said it was a typo later, but maybe it was a kind of admission that he's freer to say because he's just said that everything's a lie so he can get away with it. A student says that even though they're not happy, they want others to feel positive, and so they lie to protect those other people. They may be having a bad day, but they want to keep that from affecting the days that other people are having. Now, there are a lot of responses that talked about uh, structural features, which I adore, of course, and a good place to start is by pointing specifically to the poem's title, uh, a student says that the title tells us that this poem is an entire lie. But how do we know if the title itself is a lie? So the student suggests that there's truth in here somewhere. It has to be if we can't trust that initial title. And early on when we have these details about things that are inconsequential, like basketball and swimming, we also get mixed in here a comment about the parents' love existing or not. And a student rightly notes that this doesn't make logical sense. There's no context for the transition between talking about athletics and how the person spends their time and whether or not their parents still love each other. And this exposes one of those early lies that may be part of the real truth. A student uh, talks about how the speaker repeatedly states how great things are early on while in the second half of the poem, the listener catches on to the tr speaker's true identity, um, how they physically represent themselves with their eyes and their hands and things like this. Another says that Francisco uses a flood of punctuation and most of the time sentences that are five words or less. And this gives the poem a kind of awkward conversational feeling. There's many pauses and breaks in sentences. It's clunky and it's almost forced through. And the speaker later is avoiding truth, according to another student, responding with a lot of with short answers, such as yes and no, sometimes just those words, almost as if they're trying to get the listener, the person asking these questions of them to stop, trying to get them to move away from sensitive subjects. And I think this makes a lot of sense. And if that's true, then, and this is Leiden popping in for a second, those lines that have just no repeatedly what are those questions? How sensitive must those questions be that the responses don't even suggest what was being asked? The speaker isn't even willing to voice the subject of those questions. 
A student noted that the repetitive no clauses in that 11th stanza indicate that maybe the lying is part of the actual problem here. Maybe if the narrator had told the truth, things could have been going better. The speaker wouldn't be in a place where they're withholding so much that absolutely nothing can come out. And one student points to how obvious the lies become. The student says that it's relatively easy to invert this poem. Because of the constant use of yes and no, there's a simple past tense verbs and negative forms of things. This lack of complexity makes it easy for a reader to see what the opposite is. If we had more complex sentences, more challenging structures, more maybe ambiguous statements about what is and is not true, we wouldn't be able to see through this very thin lie. And part of how simple the lie is and how easy it is to recognize, according to the student, is part of what makes this poem so disheartening. There's an awareness to any reader of how truly sad this speaker is. Now, there are a lot of specific word choices that students spend quite a bit of time on. One of these is the use of exits and then the correction to exists. A student said that this feels like the poem, or at least the speaking of the content of the poem, is rushed, like they're trying to get through it really quickly. Another says that because this poem is a where the speaker lies about everything, it isn't really a typo. This proves that the love between the parents is still there. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's the case, but I think it's an interesting reading. And certainly the possibility is something that the speaker would really want to be true. Elsewhere, a student said uh, that this poem uses the word exits to show that even as parents, it is possible to lose love for one another, and that the word exists was never supposed to be there in the first place. It's a correction, but it's a correction for something that isn't really true. Another calls this a clever typo that his parents remind him that love still exits but and later corrects himself to ex- exists as though he's felt like love leaves him. This could also suggest some kind of uncertain future about love. And the speaker later told the listener that they're always fine instead of just leaving the sentence at fine, which they had already said. I'm fine. No, I'm always fine. And it's in this repetition, there's a, a sign that the speaker may be trying to persuade in overly embellished language something that isn't true. And by going more than is necessary to try to convince the speaker, the lie is more easily acknowledged. And then towards the end, we get this brief statement in the middle of a discussion of regular morning activities, breakfast, going for a run. We get a line that says, I felt guilty. And a student thinks that maybe this guilt is the result of so much time lying, both to others and to himself. I also really enjoyed all the connections the students made, both to themselves and to other texts. One of these was a connection between this poem and one we had read and worked through earlier in the year, not that long ago, actually. The poem, Not Waving, But Drowning. The students said that it's similar in many ways, They're both about people crying out for help, but the communication is being ruined in some way. They're saying the words, they're presenting the information to people that are just failing to be processed in a way that would actually result in them giving the help that they really need. Another student actually connected this, interestingly enough, to Dr. Seuss. Uh, Certainly the content of this poem presents a more positive and even playful persona, which 
feels at home in Dr. Seuss, and yet there's something underneath there. Uh, the student said that there are simple grammatical expressions that repeat throughout the piece. Things like, I'm happy, I'm comfortable. Those ideas repeat in the same playful way we might expect from a Dr. Seuss. And this poem was emotionally affecting to other students. One student said, a tightness in my chest choked me up as I read it aloud to myself because of the excuses of tears being allergies and having hands that shake like this all the time. These are such blatant lies that most people can see through them. The speaker seems desperate to keep the illusion of being okay for themselves and for others. These lines here, especially that comment about eyes, oh no, that's allergies. This was one that other students grabbed onto as well. One student said that this quote is the primary lie that really caught my eye. Being someone who says this quote at least once a week, I felt how much pain this man was feeling. And to be fair, I think this is a familiar lie uh, to many people, especially maybe uh, to men who are encouraged socially to a degree, especially when they're young, not to express emotions open openly. And so when we look at this whole poem, we get to the, the big picture. And some students really attacked what this poem is saying as a whole. And we get one that says the lies show to everyone that just because someone might say that they're fine doesn't mean they are always fine. There could be a lot of pain hidden behind I'm fine. Another says that sometimes it's easier to live in a dream than reality. But at one point you have to face reality. You feel sometimes that lying will fix everything, but the only way to fix what you are dealing with is to face that reality, to stop lying, to be more open about the experiences that we're having. And that makes a lot of sense with the analysis that other students do, especially as how those lies became shorter and more abrupt and less willing to even respond and consider the questions that were being asked when we get to the no, no, no. I love this analysis. I think we've done a lot of really interesting things with this poem and found not only bits of playfulness in a poem that's really challenging, but also maybe a rationale for why it's so playful at times, why it is trying to hide so much without ever actually saying there's pain. We're recognizing a deep well of pain. And I think that's a, a really thoughtful read to this poem. Our next poem is A Drifting Petal by Mary McNeil Finalosa. This poem's language is a bit old and its structure is a little bit challenging, so I'm going to explain a couple of interesting features before I get started. The poem starts with a hypothetical situation. It's kind of like asking, what if I didn't complete this assignment Mr. Leiden asked me to do? Except the speaker of this poem is wondering what might happen if she kneeled down near a stream and something magical occurred. The speaker then answers her own question, which, honestly, she's kind of wandered off by this point. And this response is 10 lines later than the question originally started. And the response involves saying what she would know about the world after she had this kind of magical experience. But even if you don't find the events of the story cleared, if they don't grab you, there are still lovely images here that are worth exploring in your response. A student response could explore the tone, the kind of character this is, or other topics. The narrative, as brief as it is, does not need to be the focus, so feel free to explore other things. The secret passphrase this week will be the word imaginative, which should fit comfortably in any student response. 
For the writing task, you will need to use a semicolon. A semicolon works by connecting two independent clauses, basically just two sentences, that could stand by themselves. But when you use a semicolon, you're indicating to the reader that these ideas in these two sentences, they're closely related. And I want you to think about them together. Think about the relationship. And because the connection is created by a semicolon, it's a really great piece of punctuation to use when you're making an argument. But do not overuse them. They are wonderful, but should be used sparingly. I've included a drawing in this week's assignment to provide a guide if you want additional assistance. A Drifting Petal Mary McNeil Fenelosa If I, a thirst by a stream, should kneel with never a blossom or bud in sight, tail down on the theme of its liquid night the moon-white tip of a sudden keel, a fairy boat, should dawn and float to my hand, as only the gods deserve, the cloud-like curve, the loosened sheaf, the ineffable pink of a lotus leaf. I should know, I should feel, that far away on the dimpled rim of a brighter day a thought had blossomed, and shaken free one sheath of its innermost soul for me. Students, be sure to use a semicolon and the word imaginative in your responses, as these are your writing task and secret passphrase. Both are required for full credit. And don't forget about our previous writing tasks. These are good writing practices no matter what we are doing. So, you know, consider including brief summaries, short quotations, avoid the word quote, and use more than one quote in your sentences. You might even be able to make this easier if you use a semicolon. Remember to complete your paragraph-length response by Wednesday, February 10th, 2021, and two replies to the responses of your peers by the Friday that ends the week. Your paragraph-length response should include a tag and make a claim in the opening sentence or two. And any evidence you use should be short, embedded smoothly into your sentences, and fully explained. You may write one to two sentences for each quotation, and that would be good practice. A quick reminder about claims. They must require proof. If your first sentence just says, this is a poem about a person by a stream, that isn't a claim. Your claim cannot be obvious. Be sure to read the assignment instructions for a full breakdown of the expectations. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, or would like our class to direct an eye toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on lightandteaches.com or on Twitter. I am at lightandteaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to class instructional activities, and the ownership of these texts remain with their stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 44 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself find quite excellent. <laughs>